to the Hidden Lessons podcast with me, Maureen Vague. Education is something we all have some experience of, but everyone's experience of education is different. Some people can't wait to finish school and never look back. Others, like me, decide to become teachers themselves. But either way, whether we realise it at the time or not, the days we spend in school have an impact on the rest of our lives. In this podcast, each week, I'll be talking to a special guest about their memories of school and the important lessons that have stayed with them. This week, I am extremely excited to be speaking to the founder of Candy Kittens, Jamie Lang. Welcome. That intro was just fab. You being sarcastic? No, it was really good. I think it's. I think what's really hard, maybe this is your, your teaching, but what's really hard, I always find, is when you have to do an intro in front of someone. It's actually quite tricky sometimes. Particularly nervous doing it in front of you because you've got your own podcast and I know you're just a total pro at this. So I tried my best. Right, Jamie, would you like to tell people about how we first met? Yeah, I can. I, so we first met um, on Raya, which is a date night. <laughs> <laughs> no, we first met. We, um, I had, we had to go to Scotland together. And uh, we had to go, I think it was Glasgow, I think it was. And uh, we, I, I woke up in the morning and I was staying in a Holiday Inn in Glasgow to shoot this TV show called House of Games. And I came downstairs and you walked into the reception as well. I don't know if you saw me. And I remember thinking, do I say hi now? Because I knew you were doing the show with me or do I not? So I played this like weird, like aloof, like, oh, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to say hi. I'm going to wait until we're in. It's like seeing a teacher with home clothes on. Like it's like God, we're we're not quite in the place to do it now. And we shot this TV show called House of Games, which is a Richard Osman genius. He hosts it. Who is the host of Pointless? And he hosts a show called House of Games, which is basically a game show, and it's silly games. It's possibly one of the funnest days. Do you agree as well? Did you have the greatest time with it? I had the best time and I was I was really nervous because I have no general knowledge and I actually and I think a big part of that Jamie was the fact that the group was so lovely and you were so funny which is why I asked you to do this podcast that it just ended up being I think it was one of the best filming days I've had since I've joined telly. Uh, You were you were very sweet because you you said to me, oh, I was very nervous. And I said, why are you nervous? And you said, oh, because... This and, and I said, oh, and I said that you just have to realise that the more you take it casually, which I always do, I take these TV shows and that so casually, like I'm with a bunch of mates. And I think that's the best way to approach it because I think what happens is that people take things too seriously a lot of the time. And TV is the, the most ridiculous <laughs> world. Like, like <laughs> for some reason... People think because you're on TV that you um, have some superpower. And actually, speaking for myself, I am have no superpowers. And actually, um, I just um, can talk nonsense for a living. And people seem to think that's um, uh, respectable. So Do you know I always... <laughs> Do you know why I, um, I think part of the reason I'm learning to take it a bit more casually. Yeah. But... I think part of it is also because people know I used to be a teacher, people expect me to like, I don't know, be the fountain of all knowledge. So every time I say anything that's vaguely kind of, I don't know, silly on telly, people go crazy on Twitter and I face so much back. She used to be a teacher. Oh, God help our children. So particularly for something like 
house of games where it's testing your general knowledge I feel like if I do really badly which I did I came like last in nearly every episode I feel like everyone is even more judgmental that's what I worry about yeah yeah I I, I definitely understand I'm lucky because I did a reality show for many years so people people automatically think I'm stupid and so if I if I say something clever, it's almost a surprise. <laughs> so it's like a pleasant surprise for them. Um, so actually, they're a bit like, oh, wait, that was quite clever of him because he knew what a crab was. <laughs> like, literally, that's what happens. But with you, unfortunately, it, it's first impressions, right? First impressions are, like, so important. And, you know, the, your first impression that you have, unfortunately, is that you're a teacher. So people, like you said, automatically think you're incredibly smart and knowledgeable and all these different things. And so you're setting yourself up <laughs> to fail. For, a fa- for a failure. Well, I'm set up to fail, but can only get better. Like I can, I can only, if I got worse, it would be almost upsetting. Like people would actually feel upset for me. <laughs> Where, so I can only get better. Where with you, you can only really get worse, which is an unfortunate position to be in. Okay, right. Well, we are here to talk about school. I know very little about your school life besides the fact that you went to a private school. I'd like to focus on secondary school, if that's all right, unless you've got something really interesting to say about your younger years. Okay, so I can give you a little brief history. So shock to everyone, I went to a private school. Um, And I uh, I went to a school, my first school I went to was called Hatherick Castle School. Uh, it was in the countryside. Castle school. Yeah, Hather- it was. A- I went to school in a castle. It was epic. And Hatherick Castle School, one of these places which was just, it was amazing, great fun. But at eight years old, I got told I was going to a different school. And I went, okay, fine. I knew that I was leaving my friends, which was upsetting. And I went to a private school, which was Summerfields at the age of eight years old. And you had to take an entrance exam to get into it. That's what you had to do. And I had no, I didn't know the concept of boarding school. No idea. I'm sure my parents explained it to me what it was, but I'm like a bouncy ball throwing me into a room and I just don't listen to anything. And uh, I remember I took this exam. Didn't really know what it was about, but just took an exam. Um, passed the exam, supposedly, and I got offered an entrance into the school Summerfields. Was there a big training kind of lots of tuition and stuff for the for this entrance exam? Because I know now I volunteer at this tuition centre for 11 plus. um, And the training is intense. It's a lot for a child. No, for me, there was nothing. There was no like training. There was nothing at all. Um, I don't, I still to this day don't really understand why they do a test. You're you're seven years old. It's like, what the hell? I mean, I can barely colour in. Like, honestly, like, so I think they, I don't know why they do it. And also, you know, I don't know how competitive some of it. There are limited places. There's 250 boys in the entire school. It's an all-boys boarding school. And I arrived at the school, and it was the summer of 2000. And when I'm 33 now, so I was eight. I can't even do the maths. I think it was 98. Yeah, it was 98. Jesus. No, it was 96. It's 96. 1997. There we go. Got it in the end. And I arrived at the school, and my mum took me there. My dad took me there. And um, I went to the school and I got taken around the school by a boy who was called, can't remember his name, but he was called, he was my shadow. So when you arrived at this boarding school, you're given a guy, a boy in the year above who used to look after you. And at the end of the day, after looking around the school, I said, oh, um, I'm going to go and find my mum now. And he went, what do you mean your mum's gone? And I went, sorry, what? They went, yeah, your, your mum's gone home. And I was like, okay. And I was given a number, which was 237. And I was told I was going to stay there. 
and I wasn't allowed to call my parents for two weeks. And I was like, sorry, am I in prison? I don't really understand what's just happened. And I was put into a dormitory, which was called Snoopy. They were all done after little characters. And it was a 12 uh, room, man room of boys. And we all had these beds together. And I slept next to a guy who, in our first night, sat up in the middle of the night, bolt upright, and started screaming mummy. And I was like, what is this place? And so people always think that, that these private schools and things that are all happy and lucky. But it was a, at the beginning, it was a pretty traumatic place because I, I didn't really like school and I definitely didn't like boarding school. So it wasn't a great combination for a person like me. Does that make sense? When I was younger, when I was a teenager, I imagined boarding school to be really fun, like Hogwarts and like a permanent sleepover with your friends and you would secretly order pizza at night. And I kind of wished I went to one. Now, obviously, that I'm older and hearing you talk about it, sounds a bit sad, Jamie. Listen, I mean, you know, I think people have definitely worse situations than going to boarding school. But um, it, it was... Um... For some people, it works, right? Some people, they like it. They, you, you, you know, boarding school is a regimented place. So you have, you have, you have times when you um, eat, you have times when you sleep, you have times um, when you have to do homework. Everything is scheduled. You have a schedule from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed. It's, kind of, it's one of these places where it works for some people, but you have to be very good at routine and very good at structure. And what it does teach you, boarding school I, I remember when I went to Leeds University to do theatre and performance and I went up there and I was doing in this class with this person who went to a state school and they said to me you went to a private school I went to a state school we're at the same place what's the difference mm. and I said I don't know and I said so your parents paid for you to go to school mine didn't but we're, we're in the same place and I went yeah I, I, I don't know what to say to you and looking back at it um what I people always ask, what are the advantages of like state school versus um, uh, boarding school? And I think there are advantages for both. Mm-hmm. I definitely think there are, you know, lots of different things. I think the advantage for a boarding school is from a very early age, you're thrown into an environment where you have to make friends, you had to survive. So you understand different people from different languages, different countries, different cultures, whatever it is. So you understand people from seven, eight years old. You understand how to communicate, which is a really big thing. And you also have the ability to say one day, I want to go and learn the oboe Mm. and you can go and do it. Mm. And I think that for me is a huge advantage to have that in life, if that makes sense. That's the only kind of thing that I can ever see that was the difference between private school versus estate school. Um, When you say like you learn how to communicate now, obviously, if you're being if you're growing up with boys who are from um, sort of status wise, wealth wise, they're from similar backgrounds to you. um, Do you feel like once you leave that kind of bubble that you were studying in and growing up in and you enter the real world where the majority of people are not as wealthy and when, you know, they're our annual salary of my household is probably less than you, how much your school fees cost. Yeah, totally. My school fees were like 30, uh, 25,000 a year. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. Uh, yes. Um, do you think now, not do you struggle, I don't know how to put it, but do you, did you find it difficult to socialise and speak to 
everyone else. No, well, no I, I so okay, so I I never understood did what wealth or anything, right? I didn't understand that people um, earned more money and people didn't. I just thought everyone was equal. That's honestly what I thought, right? And the first time that I ever had any um, understanding that actually perhaps uh, my parents were were financially better off than someone else is when I went to a guy's house and he was from a state school and his parents didn't have a uh, swimming pool. Mm. And I had a swimming pool, right? I had a swimming pool in my house growing up and that's just what I had. I thought everyone had a swimming pool. I had no clue. Like there weren't, I didn't read magazines or I didn't have social media. I, the TV that I watched was Power Rangers. I, I, I didn't watch the news. So I just didn't have any access to anything else. And so suddenly I went, oh, wait, hang on a second. Not everyone has that. And that was my understanding straight away. Um, I think what happens with uh, private school education, I, I just think in life, um, we we run in the circles that we have grown up in, whatever that is. You know, we, we you know, there's this big conversation, uh, you know, around crime, right? And, and what happens when crime happens. And a lot of it, I think, is um, you're the environment that you grow up in. Right. You know, if you're surrounded by crime a lot of the time, it's, it's very easy for you to fall into that trap of then going into the same thing. And what I realized growing up is that I didn't expand my friendship group mm. that much because I didn't have access to yeah. people from different backgrounds or whatever it was. And when I went to Leeds University, that was the first time that I started, you know, making friends with different people from different backgrounds and different, um, you know, uh, people from different wealth and things like that. How do you find that? How do you find them going to uni and being exposed to the wider world? Well, I always wanted to be loved, right? I I still, I have a a real problem with, um, not a problem, but but I, I always wanted to be liked. You know, they're, they're sending, being sent off to boarding school at such a young age, um, you, what I unfortunately got was this sort of fear of rejection, right? Because you, you, you have to sort of process these things. And so I always wanted people to like me. So I always went into in conversations or friendship groups or meeting anyone and always immediately thought, well, I got to impress them. Mm-hmm. doesn't matter whoever it was. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I have never had a sort of elitist or an arrogant or a... Um, a boastful take on my own existence. I've always been very um, uh, self-deprecating to myself because I want other people to feel comfortable and I want to be friends with other people. Um, so for me, it was fine. But I think um, I think people that I know um, aren't similar to what I'm like, perhaps. I completely agree. I think when I knew you were going to be on House of Games, um, I obviously knew very little about you did a quick google search and i expected you yeah to be very a complete different. wanker yeah, yeah, yeah a little bit I, yeah, I, yeah. I expected you to just be i mean super posh quite arrogant yeah and yeah. um yeah i didn't think we would get on at all so when i i did see you that morning um it was in the hotel i think it was during breakfast and i thought do i go and speak to him and maybe that's partly my own i don't know insecurity i was i was brought up in tottenham i'm from a very working class background and i thought i'm not gonna have anything in common with this guy we're not gonna have anything to talk about and i don't i don't hang around with people from your background i just i don't and speaking to you you were so so extremely different to the impression that I had of you or what I thought you were going to be like. Um, 
And that that is that is really kind of you. Sorry to cut you off there because I I definitely it, 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 so it's a weird thing, right? Um, being posh is a really not sexy term, and 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 even more so now. It's 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 a really kind of bad thing to be. I didn't choose to be born into a certain life. I didn't choose to go to boarding school. I didn't choose to be private educated. None of those things. And uh, you you kind of grow up with the stigma of what you're, and and that is led by your peers and different people just being idiots and acting a certain way and being that. And not all of us or, or people who've been in private school are like that. Um, but a lot of people are like that. And a lot of people who didn't go to uh, private school went to state school are certain ways and all these kind of things. But yeah, I've definitely had throughout my life. God, I'm sounding like I'm. I had. I. I had a. I'm really lucky, by the way. Like, I, no, like just... I'm with you. Can I? Can I? No. Can I make a point before you? Before you go on, I think it's really interesting what you're saying. I think, and I. I again, I'm guilty of this. I probably a few years ago, I probably would have been the person who, if I heard you moaning about it, I'd be like, "Oh, come on, Jamie, don't moan about your life." But actually, my sister. I taught obviously in a state comprehensive where I grew up, but my sister uh, quite recently started teaching at a private school mm. and suddenly hearing the stories of the students who she teaches, it kind of opened my eyes to the fact that kids are kids and, yeah. you know, um, their state school students have their own set of issues and challenges and whatnot. But that doesn't mean that private school children, because they have wealth, haven't got their own set of challenges and problems. And the problems may look different, but they are still there. And neglect is neglect. Um, whether yeah. you know whether you are super wealthy um, or not, or from a very really disadvantaged background, it looks the same. And you are allowed to talk about to feel a certain way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's true. I. I. I, I, I... I, and also, I want to hear your thing on this. I, I definitely think that I think education is so important. Like, and I and more so as I grow up, I realize how important education is. I, I definitely do, though, think that um, it's like an archaic system, if this makes sense. Because okay, at school we're told we're not allowed to collaborate or copy or work together. We're told we have to keep everything hidden and do it ourselves and all those different things. But life is total the opposite. You're meant to collaborate and copy and help each other and do all these different things. So there's a and also, um, I, I have a real problem with, um, you know, my, my cousin uh, is headmaster of a state school and some of his classes have like 45 kids in it. And the problem with that is that, you know, at my boarding school, the maximum we had in the class was something like 13, let's say. That's like the maximum. And if you're struggling in the class or you're not doing well or you seem a bit down that day or you don't see yourself, you know, the teacher notices and helps you and talks to you and spoon feeds you. And you're it was there with say it's because you've got 45 kids in the class. And if one kid isn't performing well, you have no idea about what's happening in his background or what's happening at home or what's happening in his life. But they cast out as misfits. Mm. And that's the problem. And then they get stuck with that. Mm. And I think that's a real trouble in some schools that. There isn't, and it's because of funding, right? I totally get it. You know, how do you how do you conquer that real tough question? But I think it's really tough for some kids in state schools, particularly who um, have fifty people in their class. Mm -hmm. It's really hard. It's like a lecture yeah. hall. Yeah, exactly that. And so, when you have a student who is struggling, a student who doesn't understand, a student who is misbehaving, you you can't give them the individual attention they need or deserve because. You have to. You have all the other students in the class who you're trying to control and trying to teach at the same time. And sometimes, like I said, I look at my sister's school and she's got three kids in a class. It's it's basically private tuition. 
Um, yeah, 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 yeah. It's exactly. Okay. But going back to your um, original point, yeah, I, I've always had that, and and I always do. People think posh people are some people, but a lot of people think posh people are idiots and wankers and things. Like this, and a lot of them are. Um, but out of out of all the things that you can probably be labelled, being posh isn't the worst, right? Like you know, uh, I I have friends who've had to deal with racial problems and all these, you know, there's different things, and and you know, I get called posh and whatever, but I am posh, but what you can just do is just meet someone like yourself and or whoever it is and, and be a nice person. And actually they go, actually, that guy is a, a real nice dude. Richard Osman actually came on um, my podcast um, a while ago and who was the he's host house games. And he said to me, which is really interesting. He thought before he went to Cambridge, he was like, I'm going to go and hang around with a lot of posh people and they're all going to be idiots. And when he got there, he was pleasantly surprised at how normal everyone was and how much like him they were the only thing that he does now which is really interesting is when he meets someone and if they're posh he determines in his head he goes would you be in your job Mm -hmm. would you be doing what you're doing unless you had that background Mm -hmm. and that's quite an interesting thing to think right would you be doing what you're doing without the background that you had and that's what he does to assess people sometimes so would you be doing what you're doing if you didn't have your background hell no I mean I would never have done made in Chelsea (laughs) but I think um what do I think the reason why um a lot of English actors are from sort of a middle class family is because acting takes a long time to crack and your parents have to fund you while you're going to auditions and doing different things and if you come from a low-income family you have to go and help pay the mortgage or help pay the rent or help pay for food or you don't have time to go to auditions. You have to go and work in the local Sainsbury's or things like that. I write about this in my book. It's exactly that. I say like, you know, there's so many people, so many children. Like, even if I look at myself, I couldn't ever just say, I'm going to follow my dreams. You can't. We we had rent to pay. We had groceries to buy. So we couldn't, we didn't have that safety net to fall back on. I'm going to start a business. Well, if that fails, I haven't got anything to fall back on. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you should sing that because my biggest thing is the luckiest thing that I've had, right, is I was able to discover what I didn't want to do. And no one has that chance. You have to go and work in the local Sainsbury's or whatever it is. You have to go and earn money. I was able to go, I don't really want to do that. I don't really want to do that. Oh, I like this. Maybe I'll give this a go. Oh, wait, I don't really want to go and work for that insurance company, I actually want to go and set up a sweet business. Yeah. And if it fails, oh, people, yeah, a lot of people always say, follow your dreams and, you know, it's okay to fail. Don't worry about it. If you fail, it means your family can't eat. Like that's, it's really hard. And for me, that's the biggest fortunate thing I've ever had is that I've able to discover what I didn't want to do. So would I be in the position that I am today without my background? It's hard to say. Would I have set up a business? I think I'm a certain individual. I think that I'm unemployable. I really do. I don't think I'm, people can employ me because I'm just a nightmare properly to be employed. Um, so I think I would have always ended up doing something for myself. But whatever realm that was, maybe it wouldn't be what I'm doing right now. I don't know. Um, what do you when- think about you, though? What do you think? Of, do you think with you, you would, if you say you had come from a privately educated place mm-hmm. or not even just from a higher income family, do you think you would have still been a teacher? Um, I think, I'd like to think 
that maybe I would be an actress because I'd be able to, but do you know what? I'm Pakistani. So even if we were wealthy, my parents still wouldn't be too happy with me becoming an actress. And I probably still would have become a doctor or a teacher. So <laughs> yeah. I, I think my life was sort of planned more by my, by my heritage than it was by my, by my wealth. But I do, I mean, I got teaching was the, it, the best years of my life. I absolutely and utterly love it. So I, but that for what reason, because you were, um, because you because you were able to interact with the youth and actually inspire them. I love I love young people, like particularly yeah. teenagers. I really struggle. I don't know if you noticed on House of Games. I I'm really socially awkward. I really struggle with adults. I get really um, I don't know. I get really not even shy. Just. I find adults difficult. I find new situations and new scenarios and stuff just difficult to be myself. And I, I just feel like I come alive when I were teenagers. I think they are unfiltered. I think if they like you, you know it. If they don't like you, you know it. And I think it's something really simple. And particularly when you teach kids who, you know, I taught kids who were brought up in the, my sister went to the school that I taught at. I went to the primary school next door. So they were very much children from similar backgrounds to my own. And I think when they do really well, it really is like the most incredible feeling. It's the most incredible. I know it sounds super cringy. No, it doesn't. But it's it's just, it's the best. You have literally changed someone's life. Like that person has a shot at life because, and you had a tiny bit to play in it. Like, it's great. That, that is also, first I just want to say, by the way, you're, you're totally not socially awkward. You may feel that you are, but but you're not. You're incredibly warm and actually a, a lovely presence to be around. So I, I would... Try and scrap that from your mind if you can, but it, it's one of those things. I get it; it's tough, right? And but what what you're suggesting there, which is so true, is the highest form of happiness. Mm. Like honestly, people think happiness is based around wealth and success and uh, power and fame and all these uh, nonsense things. And when you gain a smidge of that or an essence of that, you you're not satisfied. You never are. And actually, satisfaction and um, Satisfaction is like the key to happiness in a way and and actually helping others in whatever way it may be and having love and respect and and great relationships that's the best form of of happiness they did Harvard had done some really amazing tests right and um they've done two tests which are really cool first test was um they got 100 people and they put cold packs and hot packs, not freezing and not boiling, but cold and hot packs on their laps. Of 50 had cold packs and 50 had hot packs. And they gave them a test to do over an hour or whatever it was. And at the end of the test, they say, can you go and pick up a present on the end of the day? It's a present for you. You, or you can do what you want with it. And it was a whole table of presents. All 50 of the people with the cold packs on their laps took a present to help themselves. All 50 of the people with the hot packs took a present to give to somebody else. Um, and, it, and it shows what like um, firstly like warmth and stuff does to you, which is a really interesting thing. And the second one that they've, they've done is they, they discovered what creates happiness. Now, social experiments are a really hard thing because firstly, funding runs out or people get bored or the, 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 the people involved within it don't really want to do it anymore. And it's one of the only social experiments which has lasted like 100 years. And it was to discover what happiness was. And they got 750 graduates from Harvard and they followed them throughout their entire lives. And every two years checked in on them, but not just checked in on them, they checked their brains, they uh, spoke to their friends and family members, they run tests, they did everything. And there were presidents in it, alcoholics, uh, murderers, um, businessmen, um, family men, whatever it was. 
And what they realized at the end of their lives, what creates happiness, it wasn't about success. Money doesn't really pay a part in it, but it helps a little bit. It was um, whether they had an impact on other people's lives and if they had strong relationships with their family members and friends. Mm. That's the thing that creates happiness. Mm. And and that is a really kind of eye-liberating um, realization that actually what we're all searching for is right in front of us. Mm. Go and help others and just be nice to people and have great relationships. And fundamentally, according to data, you'll be happy. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? No, it makes it makes total sense. I'm thinking about what you said and you're absolutely right. Like when I, yeah, what I think I, despite like, you know, we, like I say, growing up, we definitely face challenges but a I didn't know any better the same way you say you didn't know what wealth was you didn't know anyone lives any different it was the same like we had got a fish and chips and we split it into five and we ate it and it was amazing like we didn't know that that wasn't the normal thing to do um and I think what probably yeah saved me or like I grew up content and satisfied because I had a really loving close relationship with my family and I guess yeah people don't when you're in kind of everyday life and trying to pay your bills and whatnot people forget that yeah they do and also uh, Blake always I've said this in another podcast but Blake always says it well Blake talks about innocence and experience yeah and how innocence is broken by experience Mm. um and it's so true being innocent that's why Peter Pan was so awesome because it wasn't about not growing up it was about not being experienced you don't want to be like Captain Hook he's miserable and he's a tyrant. You don't want to be like that. You want to be young and youthful and innocent for the rest of your life. That's magical because you can get to have adventures. And that's probably why you like, you, like children or, or it sounds weird but, but it's because you, you, you do. You like the youth and I do as well. It's because it's their innocence. Yeah. It's their innocence, which is so pure and magical and refreshing and, and refreshing. How awesome is it? It's just wicked. So, Jamie, when you... Sorry, I ramble as well. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's so interesting. When If you were seven or eight and you were put into um, your boarding school where there was quite a strict routine and there was, you know, time to wake up, time for your lessons, so on and so forth, do you feel like that took away the fun and freedom of your childhood, the splashing in puddles, the... Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I grew up in, I grew up in the, the sort of countryside and... What I used to do with my brother is like steal mayonnaise pots and go and bury them and then unbury them and then spread them on trees because I thought we were going to heal the trees that were sick. You know, that that's what we used to do. And then suddenly I was put into a school which had regime and, and surrounded by different people all the time. And you're not got the comfort of your family. I think it does. I think it makes you grow up much quicker. You realize more quickly between the right and wrong and what you can do and what you shouldn't do. And, and you're, you're kind of conditioned at these schools they condition you to, okay, you're, you've got five years to then pass a test to get to a next school. And then you've got five years to pass this test to get to, into university. And then we're in university. And so from that moment on, you're conditioned, okay, life is about achieving. Here we go. You're always achieving. And at the end of every year, you have exams. You have to win those. And, and that you, were, you were on a list of all the people in your year of who came first or who came last. So you're always on a chart. So you're always, um, so life then becomes a competition rather than just being life and whatever, you're constantly competing. And that is good to condition individuals, I suppose, to succeed. Mm. But I'm not sure it's real success Mm. 
because real success is like um, acceptance and, and comfort and family and things like that. It's, just, it's like success in terms of I'm going to be better than you. So if you were brought up in that environment from such a young age, how do you think you came out of it with such a with such an appreciation for, you know, for, for not seeing everything as a competition? Why do you think you came out so the other way? Well, I, I don't think I did. I, 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 I had, um, I, I, when I was 21 years old, I had a panic attack, right? And, and I just started, or 22, and I was doing Made in Chelsea, and I had like, and I was like this outgoing, but I was like outgoing, you know, I had in my insecurities, but I was a pretty confident guy, I, like all these kind of things. And I was, and then I went from being this sort of happy-go-lucky, cheeky guy to suddenly being, have general anxiety disorder and not telling anyone about it and keeping it totally inside. And, and I, so then what I did is I took 10 years later or not quite 10, about eight years later, I suddenly went, okay, I've got to go and sort this properly out. Cause it was just loads of things. It was awful um, with my anxiety that I started going to see a therapist, a, girl, a, a, a woman called Mal, Mal Khan, who's from Pakistan. She's amazing. And I've seen her the last three years, every single week or maybe four years now. And I still see everything we and I don't and, and therapy I think is a firstly I'm fortunate to do it, but secondly, if for me it's now about self-awareness. And so I've learned actually what you what it takes to be a nice person and understand these things. My years in my twenties and things like that, I wasn't aware. I was incredibly selfish. I didn't realise that if I didn't spend Christmas with my parents, why the hell would they care? I didn't want to go and spend, I want to go and have fun. And you realize that actually friends and uh, relationships are gardens. You have to water them to make them grow. And I didn't water anyone. I just watered myself for so many years. And what helped me, honestly, is was therapy. That that's really what made me have that self awareness. You absolutely don't have to answer this. I'll answer anything. I don't mind. How do you feel about your parents' decision now, looking back, to put you in a boarding school? Or what's your relationship like with them now? So, so I said this to my mum the other day. My mum and I have a great relationship. And she's hilarious. She's one of the funniest people I know. I, I phoned her up and I suddenly went, this is literally, I swear to God, like two months ago. And I said, when I was younger, you sent me to boarding school. You sent me to like summer schools. You, when, when we went skiing, I was put into ski. I was always going to schools. And I said, that's because you couldn't be bothered to have to look after us. And she went, yep. <laughs> I went, so you did that just because you couldn't be bothered. She's like, yeah, yeah, I couldn't be bothered. And we could afford it. And I was like, oh my God. So I don't, I don't have any resentment towards my parents at all whatsoever. My parents are great. Um, I love them. They're very loving towards me. Um, but they were selfish and they wanted to, and they could afford, was it really to better my life sending me to private school? Probably not. I think it was a selfish decision on their part. But, you know, I'm, they were loving and are very loving. They are incredibly supportive and were supportive. Um, so I'm, I'm unfortunate. Um, so I, would I send my kid to a boarding school at eight years old? Hell no. I would no ways in a million years. But um, would I send them to a private school? Possibly if I was able to afford it. Um, but I have no resentment towards them. And, um, you know, and I think some kids may do, but my parents would, are, 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 are awesome. I love my mum. And, and I'm so much close to my dad. My parents got divorced when I was eight. Same time I went to boarding school, which was perfect timing. Um, and, and, um, but, you know, so I had a pretty sort of um, odd relationship with my parents for a bit because I felt rejected. But then you just realize we're all humans and we all make mistakes. And 
we all are trying our best. And as long as you're not oh, try, purposely going out there to harm someone, then it's okay. So yeah, I don't have any resent. That was the most long-winded answer I've ever no, given. So I apologize. It's very interesting. It's also incredibly honest. Um, yeah, but honesty is so, do you not think like, honesty is so key? This is why- Honesty is so rare. I mean, it's so lovely yeah. to not get like a politically correct answer and to just- Because what's the point? I could sit here and say to you, things that would make me sound better or I could sit here and say things that would make me sound oh god feel sorry for him what's the point it's it's like it's like buying a fake watch and pretending everyone is real what's the <laughs> point of, do you know what's the point in that like what what are you what are you, satisfaction are you getting out of it I don't really get it I was gonna say do you think if you if you could turn back time yeah would you I mean, I think I know the answer. I don't know why I asked it. I'm I guessing you wouldn't go to you wouldn't go to your school. You would still want to go to a private school to get the opportunities that you did, or do you think you're going full state? I, uh, I okay. So again, a long-winded answer. I'm really sorry to keep doing this, but I, so there's a, a guy called Mark Price who's a really smart dude, um, and he he's created something called the Happiness Test, which is to work out what happiness is in the workplace. And he did it. He he it worked out in America that one thirteen percent of Americans wake up and enjoy their job. Sixty three percent of Americans do something called sleepworking, which is where they wake up and just do their job and don't just do it. And then you have the uh, whatever twenty four percent of Americans who are depressed or anxious going to work, and thirty eight percent of Americans have a negative impact on their business on the business that they work for. I love that you know all of these statistics off by heart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So 13% of 320-odd million Americans like their job. I can wake up and say, I actually really like what I do, and I'm so blessed to do that. So I don't know what the percentage is in the UK. And would I be able to do what I do now if I hadn't have gone to, had my upbringing, had the, the journey that I had and the experiences? Maybe not. So I'm incredibly thankful for, you know, the position that I'm in. Because I I, enjoy, I get wake up in the morning and I go don't say to myself I really don't want to go to work today. I actually go okay cool it's a new day let's go and that's a huge blessing. Interesting, very interesting. What about yourself? Do you like the path that you took? Do you have regrets or wish you had changed things or done something differently or or changed something in your life? Um, I think I when I actually sit and reflect and look at kind of where we started and then look at what I'm doing now I do feel really proud of myself I feel proud of all of us me my, my brother my sister we've we've done really well and I think just for that fact I'm really proud of our journey and I wouldn't really change it it made me who I am it's why I'm so passionate about like I say things like teaching it's why you know I am who I am because and we all are because of the upbringing that I had um there are certain things like, you know, I did, I really messed around in my A-levels and I had an offer to do medicine, but I missed it because of that. Um, so, you know, maybe I would have worked a bit harder in my A-levels, little small regrets like that, but then I wouldn't have become a teacher. I just think everything in life kind of leads on to the next thing. So you can't make any changes because everything happens for a reason. Like I just feel like there's always a greater plan that you're just not aware of at the time. So when I messed up my A-levels and missed my medicine offer, I, I thought the whole world had ended, but then I became a teacher. I went through clearing, I became an English teacher. And because of that, I wrote my book and I'm, in t I'm on TV. Do you know what I mean? Like I 
I don't think I would change anything. I do wonder, I think when I go to, when I started doing TV work and I went to all these really posh events and there were, you know, things on the menu and I don't know how to pronounce them and I don't know what it means and there are five knives and forks and I don't know what to do with them. I feel, I think, ironically, I'm probably at my most successful stage now, but I feel the least confident that I ever have because I'm not in my comfort zone. So that's maybe I feel like where how my background has almost hindered me a little bit. I I feel out of place a lot of the time. Huge imposter syndrome. And I look at someone like you and I just look at like you, I don't know, you have got this ingrained kind of just confidence, this you can just go in and blag it. And I wonder if that comes from your background. Yeah, yeah. No, and I and I and I definitely think there's an argument to suggest that. But but by the way, we all have imposter syndrome. And if you don't have imposter syndrome, I honestly think you have to be a sociopath. Like I really do. Because um okay, okay, for from I, I, I did made in Chelsea right. And I would never ever change that at all. But now when I go into situations, I always feel I have to defend myself. Oh yeah, I did a reality show, oh, God, you know, things like that. But it led me to what I'm doing today. So I'm incredibly grateful for it. But I have imposter syndrome, whatever I do, what, anything I do. And I have imposter syndrome on this podcast because I'm like, oh, does anyone really care what I'm saying? Like, why would they? Why would they listen to me? So I, I, you're, you're one of the 99% of individuals who feel exactly the same way. So you're, you're actually not out of place one bit. By the way, teachers also, the, the, the impact you would have had on so many of your kids and so many of those kids will remember who you are because I remember all of my epic teachers. Do you? Yes. Yeah. Mr. Hindley, shout out to him. Mr. Price, shout out to him. What do you remember them for? For engaging me in something that I wasn't interested in. Unlocking that thing that's in everyone and spending those time as saying, he's there's something within him He's not interested, but I'm going to find the ticket to, to, to get it out of him. And I love that mm-hmm. because I wasn't interested in maths, but mm-hmm. Mr. Wiseman helped me unlock the interest that I had in maths. And Mr. Hindley was my English teacher mm-hmm. and made me realize how wonderful English is, mm-hmm. you know, and because of the English that I learned, I'm now pretty good at sort of analyzing different situations and, and reading into things and mm-hmm. understanding stuff. Inferring. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So looking back at your school experience, if you could say there is one lesson you learned from school what would that one lesson be the one thing that I learned from school god that is a big one the one thing that I learned from school is do you know I have never ever been stuck for words in my life and I think friendships are really important if I'm like I I honestly do I think having um having a, a a core friendship group is 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 really vital to your existence and don't neglect it that's what I learned from school. I think it's really important to have friends. I love that. I think that's absolutely perfect and a great ending. <laughs> Thank you so much. It was utterly spectacular. <laughs> You're so good. Thank you so much for listening to the Hidden Lessons podcast this week. If you enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating or a review, and better yet, tell a friend about it. My new book, also called Hidden Lessons, is out now. It's all about my time as a teacher, the incredible people I met, and the unforgettable life lessons I learned along the way.